Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Imagine yourself walking through the woods or a large open field. In the middle of nowhere, you're all alone. It's beautiful. It's blissful. But then, suddenly, and without warning, you're feeling very vulnerable, uneasy. There's no reason to feel that way. Or is there? Are you being watched? Or imagine you're minding your own business at the store, and a friend calls you to ask what you're doing back in town. Only you weren't back in town. So, what was your friend talking about? A case of mistaken identity? Or is your doppelganger walking around your town right now? Spooky, right? Tonight, we'll submerge ourselves in the experiences of others, as each of their stories takes us on a journey through the terrifying and the unknown. So... Let's get started, shall we? When I was 18, I had a frightening experience just a few days before Halloween. My big brother Adam, who's 15 years older than I am, had moved out a few years before and was living on his own. He had a few days off from his job as a security guard, and because it was Halloween that weekend, he invited me over for the night. We were very close growing up, despite the age gap, and I had always looked up to him, so I was super excited for the chance to spend some time with him. Just so you know the layout of where I was, Adam's place was part of an apartment complex. It's in the cheaper part of town, but he needed to afford the rent, so that didn't matter to me. Adam's unit is on the ground floor, with the front door and lobby of the building separating his place and the one above it from the two on the other side. In the back is a sort of communal garden area where the people in the building can hang out. The unit itself isn't very big. The door of the unit opens into the main hall of the apartment and a small kitchen living room area and a small inside hall that leads to the bathroom and Adam's room. Anyway, Adam and I had rented some horror movies to watch, but the whole time I kept getting this weird feeling like someone was watching us. The room is set up so that the living room is facing a wall where the TV is, and to the left is the kitchen and the door that leads to the backyard. The first movie finished, when Adam was picking out the next one, I looked across to try to see out the kitchen window over the sink. It was dark out, so no good there. But I could have sworn that I felt that someone is watching us feeling earlier. I jumped a little when Adam touched my shoulder to get my attention, and he laughed, ruffling my hair. Too scary for you, kid? He asked, using his nickname for me due to the age gap. I quickly shook my head, and we kept watching the next movie. The feeling went away after that, and we enjoyed the remainder of the evening. Around midnight, we turned in. Adam went to his room, and I stayed on the couch to sleep. 
I remember waking up to use the bathroom later on. I was half asleep, so I don't remember the exact time. And while I was going past the door to the yard, I got that feeling again. I looked out the kitchen window, but couldn't make anything out. On the way back from the washroom, though, just as I was nearing the couch, the wall lit up slightly. It took me a moment to realize it was the glow of the sensor light outside. It was coming in from the kitchen window, and I hesitated. I felt a little cold for some reason, and I didn't want to see what was going on, but found myself walking over anyway. The yard was empty, and I stared around a bit, trying to see if there was an animal or something that might have set it off. The light didn't quite make it into the corners of the yard, and when my eyes adjusted, I saw someone crouching in the corner by the fence. I froze, totally awake now, staring at the person, and even though I couldn't see them clearly, I felt them staring back. The light went out, startling me, and I took a step back from the window, about to go wake Adam, but I only got one step back when the light came back on. This time, I could see them clearly, and I was absolutely terrified by what I saw. They were dressed in old, tattered jeans and a dark gray hoodie that was zipped up. But the creepiest thing was the mask that they had on. It looked like one of those bandanas you see sometimes, where it looks like you have a skeleton mouth, except this one covered their entire head, so it looked like a skull under the hoodie. The eyes must have had black over them, because I couldn't see them. But I could see his head tilt down and look at their hands, which had black gloves on. And in the right hand was a knife, a bloody knife. The person pointed the knife at me as if he was silently saying, you're next. And he started walking toward the back door. I ran to Adam's room and I shook him all over as hard as I could until he woke up. He was swearing at me angrily for waking him up like that. But I was trembling and all I could get out was some guy, back door. He stared at me in confusion for a moment before we both heard a loud slam on the back door like the guy was trying to kick it down. Stay here, Adam told me, and I nodded as he ran out of the room. I could hear him opening a drawer in the kitchen, and by the sounds of it, he was grabbing a knife of his own. The banging suddenly stopped and I stood on Adam's bed to look out the window in his room. The yard was empty, and I was about to call for Adam when Skull Guy popped up right in front of the window. I swear, like the cheapest jump scare in a horror movie. I yelled and I fell off the bed, and Adam came hurrying in as Skull Guy smacked the bottom of the knife handle against the window, cracking the glass. I'd landed on the floor and Adam stood in front of me as Skull Guy tried to break the window. Just before he did, we saw him look off to one side and then suddenly take off. I tried to get up, but Adam pushed me back down 
and he got on his bed to look out. He told me later that he could see the figure leaping over the fence as he looked out. There was a knock on our front door, making us both jump, and Adam went to the door, still holding his knife and asking, Who is it? He sounded like he meant business. And a voice said, It's Tom. You boys all right? Adam called for me and then opened the door. It was his neighbor from the upstairs unit. Tom, who had heard the noise and seen the lights, called the cops. They came to take our statements, and one of the neighbors had called our parents to let them know what happened. The cops told us they'd be especially careful, since it was Halloween the next day, and so they'd put a warning on the radio. I had told them about the bloody knife the guy had, and they explained that there was a murder close by, and that they'd been looking into when they got the call to come here. They said it was pretty violent, and that we were lucky that the guy ran off. Adam and I stayed awake the rest of the night, and Adam called our parents to let them know we were safe, officially, and that we'd spend the night over there tomorrow. Thankfully, we didn't hear anything about the guy on Halloween, but I still get creeped out knowing that guy is out there somewhere. And he was ready to break in and kill me, just for having seen him out the window. And that someone is watching feeling I had before. The cops figured the guy had passed by the house earlier when he was on his way to the home of the poor people he'd killed. And that he'd been scouting our place out. That thought kept me awake the next night, too. Something happened in my apartment last year, 2020, and made me feel a bit crazy. Only recently have I realized I wasn't imagining things. I was laying down on my bed watching TV. It was probably around 11, because I was watching the local nightly news. My bedroom window was closed, as were the shades, and my bedroom door, too. And so the only light in the room was from my phone and my TV. I felt something warm right above me. It felt almost like a raindrop, but very warm. As I felt my head, it wasn't wet. I looked up and I saw a very bright yellow light. It only hovered in place for one moment before zipping right through my bedroom wall. The whole event instantly felt off and so I ran out of my room to see if the light was still there. And it was, hovering just above the kitchen sink. But just like it had last time, it moved so quickly as soon as I looked at it. This time, it went straight through my balcony door to the outside, leaving a faint trail of light behind it. I ran out to my balcony, but I couldn't see it any longer. There were lots of normal streetlights, but not that light. So that happened about six months ago. But just recently, my cousin came to stay with me for a few days while her condo was being painted. 
On the first night, I gave her my bed while I took the couch. It was around midnight that I was laying there, eyes closed, and I felt the same warmth above me, like a hot raindrop. My eyes shot open, and there was that same yellow light hovering right between my eyes. Then it shot off, going directly through my bedroom wall. I wasn't even off the couch yet when I heard my cousin let out a quick scream. I met her at the bedroom door, and before she could explain anything, I asked if she saw the yellow light. She responded by asking me what the hell that thing was. I explained that I had no idea, but that it wasn't the first time that it had shown up here. The thing moves really fast, and seemingly through walls or other solid objects. So, does anyone got a clue as to what this yellow light is all about? When I was in high school, I babysat for one of my mom's co-workers. It was basically the first time I'd actually babysat, and aside from having to watch my cousins here and there, it was the last time I really babysat too. The woman's daughter was about four years old, so she wasn't in school yet, but I thought that she was very well-spoken for a little girl her age. We spent a lot of time outside since they had this amazing park right next to their house. After we'd about exhausted ourselves there, we headed home for a snack. In addition to being very well-spoken, she was also well-behaved. She was the one to remind me at snack time that she probably shouldn't have juice, too much sugar. Wow, more self-control than I had, and she's only four. After eating some snacks, I started to grab the coloring books and crayons. As I did this, The child asks me, Do you ever see a girl swinging? Do you ever see a girl? It just sounded like a normal kid question. One that's not rooted in much sense due to their lack of really being able to put thoughts together. Due to their limited vocabulary. She was just a normal four-year-old after all. So I answered her question. Yeah, I've seen a girl swinging before. I just saw you swinging at the park. And I see you swinging right now. As I said that, I grabbed a hold of her little arms and did the swing around thing that all kids love, lifting her feet off the ground and going in circles just a few times. After and through laughter and catching her breath, she said, No, not like that. Like this. And she made a motion around her neck she was choking I wasn't sure what to say so I just said nope I've never seen that let's color again with vocabulary kids don't always have the pieces to put things together properly so I wasn't thinking initially that she was meaning to say a girl swinging from her neck we sat and colored while we listened to some random Sesame Street soundtrack on the TV I decided to get up and clean up the snack mess while this little girl seemed very focused on her drawing. Afterwards, 
I made my way back to the table. I glanced over at her drawing innocently, but I was quickly horrified. What? What's that you're drawing there? I had to have sounded uneasy to anyone but this four-year-old. She smiled and then showed me her picture. She said, It's not done yet, because I don't think I know how to draw stairs. I tried not to look as horrified as I felt. Oh, was all that I could get out for a moment. Is that the girl, the swinging girl you were talking about? She nodded excitedly, over and over. Yes, she swings right up there. She pointed to the staircase behind me. I didn't turn around. Not because I was afraid I would see this swinging girl. I was actually sure that I wouldn't. But because I didn't think seeing it or not seeing it myself would make it any less real. The little girl went on to tell me that this girl swings there sometimes, but always from her neck. I helped her with that word, neck. But she also told me that the girl didn't scare her. I asked her how long she'd seen this swinging girl. Forever I have seen this girl. I see this girl all the time. I asked if she spoke to this girl, and she told me no. This girl doesn't talk. My final question. Does your mommy know about this swinging girl? Mommy doesn't like to talk about the swinging girl. Then this little girl's face turned into a frown. She actually had a bit of sadness to her now. She was looking down at her feet. I quickly changed the subject and moved us into the living room where the Sesame Street music was. I just started laughing and dancing around. Anything to break this incredibly creepy mood. After all, I still had at least two hours before I was relieved of my sitting duties. I basically kept that little girl awake for as long as I could, but eventually it was just cruel to keep her from her slumber. So I swooped her up off the couch and got ready to put her in her bed, her bed upstairs. I'd have to go past the landing that she'd previously advised was the swinging girl spot. The girl was getting heavier as I stood there hesitant to make any moves. I could feel my heart racing. I so didn't want to walk up those stairs. She's not there. It's okay. I almost jumped out of my skin as this tiny voice said those words to me. The little girl was awake now in my arms. I was being reassured by a four-year-old. The craziest part was I really was being reassured by this child. I found myself walking up the staircase, and I felt calm doing it. By the time we reached the top, the little girl was asleep again. I laid her down in bed, shut out the lights, and went to close the door just a crack. And I heard that same little voice call out from her bed. If you want to know, she's swinging now. I was facing the staircase, looking at the landing. I saw nothing, but I felt everything. 
A chill swept up the stairs and I felt it rush around me. No windows were open in this house, and it didn't feel like that kind of breeze anyways. The only way to describe the chill that I felt was that it was normal and that it gave me goosebumps immediately, but it also sort of made my cheeks flush, all at the same time. I felt like I needed to sit down, and so I did. I sat outside that little girl's room until I heard the garage door open. My mom's friend was home, and so I found the courage to rush down the stairs. I greeted her in the doorway. She asked how the night was, and instead of going into all the details, I told her that she had a really lovely daughter. She was smart, well-spoken, and had a great imagination. I actually left in such a hurry that she didn't even get a chance to pay me. She gave my mom a check the following Monday at work, and when my mom gave it to me, I told her the story, how my experience really was. My mom sort of got red in the face and asked if I was serious, telling me not to joke about stuff like that. But then she sort of twisted her face a bit, and she looked down, what, Mom? There was something that she obviously wasn't saying. I feel bad even saying this because it's so personal. I obviously pressured my mom into telling me what it was, and so she did. My mom's friend had a sister who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. She'd lived with her in that house through her 20s and 30s. And just about a year before my mom's friend's daughter, the little girl I was babysitting, before she was born, her sister killed herself in that home. My mom didn't know how, because as she put it, that just isn't the kind of thing you ask when someone tells you something like that. But I have a strong feeling that this woman's sister is the swinging girl. I still have no explanation for this experience. My girlfriend saw my doppelganger, and it scared the hell out of her. I'll try to give as much detail as possible and keep this from going on for too long. This happened back in the summer of 2015 when I was serving in the United States Army Reserves. I was stationed in southern Alabama in a transportation company. Sometimes, my girlfriend would come with me on drill weekends and we would crash at a friend of hers apartment, which is where this incident took place. This particular weekend, we were in a large convoy in the middle of nowhere, on some back road out in the sticks over a hundred miles from the city. That was when I got the most confusing, bizarre, and downright creepy phone call of my young life. She was in utter hysterics. She was crying and screaming, wondering why I would frighten her so badly what the fuck my problem was, and asking me how I even pulled it off. After I was finally able to calm her down, this is the story she relayed to me. Sometime that afternoon, her friend was at work, and she was at the apartment by herself. Suddenly, there was a loud bang on the door. Not a knock, 
several loud, violent bangs. After looking through the peephole, she saw me. But there was something off. She says I was wearing my army uniform. It looked like me, but that I had this very angry, aggravated look on my face. She opened the door, wondering why I was home so early, and apparently without saying a word, I angrily blew past her, shoulder-checking her into the wall, and quickly walked down the hall, taking a left into the bedroom, slamming the door behind me so hard the whole place shook. She was very alarmed and confused about why I was home so early and in such an agitated state. I mean, that is so out of character for me. I'm not a violent guy at all. On top of that, if something did happen to set me off, she would have been the first to hear about it. So, she's walking behind me, trying to get some information out of me, and she opens the bedroom door and sees the closet door slam shut. She proceeds to run over to see what I'm doing in her friend's closet and claims that when she opened the door, it was completely empty. That was when she had a panic attack and called me. Imagine my shock and confusion hearing that story, knowing that I was well over a hundred miles away at the time. She finally believed me after I sent her a photo of my current GPS location, which only served to freak her out more. I thought that there must be some kind of rational explanation for what she saw. I'll be honest and say she smoked a little weed here and there. But at the time, I know she was sober. She didn't mess around with hard drugs or drink, and she didn't have any mental illness of any kind. Over the years since that happened, I came to learn about doppelgangers. I don't really know what they mean, what they represent, or why they come around. All I know is that they are creepy as shit. And a girl I dated for several years came face to face with mine. And it put the fear of God into the poor girl. Take from this story what you will. And honestly, I don't care if anyone believes it or not. I just have to get it off my chest. For the past four years, I've worked as a funeral director and embalmer at two different locations in separate buildings. Names omitted for privacy reasons and to keep intact my anonymity. In my line of work, of course, the nature of the work would be unsettling to most, especially the aspect of the task completed on the decedents themselves. As an embalmer, I've performed some gruesome actions, all for the betterment of someone's loved one's appearance and their expectation for the viewing during their visitation period. I'm telling you all of this to set the stage that I'm not scared easily from the unsettling and I have a rock-solid stomach that could handle any smell or sight that we come across. That any embalmer We'll see at some point. Since there's two locations I frequent, I'll be labeling them one and two, or first and second, for simplicity's sake. The first location. 
Coming back from a death call at a hospital at 2 a.m. into a 130-year-old funeral home with a decedent in the back of the van seems creepy enough to most, but it's the reality that a lot of people don't realize is fairly common. My first major encounter happened sometime after I arrived at the funeral home and started my normal embalming procedures. During the procedures, of course, I'm not paying extreme attention to my surroundings of the room, but I had noticed just a nuance of a chill. It wasn't normal, as I'd embalmed many times before, and I'd never noticed anything like that. I just shrugged it off and continued on. After I had completed, I walked into the casket showroom, which is directly next to the embalming room, and I flipped on the lights. In the corner, next to the end of two caskets, was a black mist that seemed to dissipate into the corner of the room. Plain as day in a fully lit room. I was absolutely rocked by the realization that me and the decedent were not alone in the funeral home. Someone had been watching me the entire time. The second occurrence was when I was leaving one night around 11 p.m., after a long day of death calls and funerals. Every evening when we leave, we go from room to room to make sure that every light is turned off, to save on the electric. I had sat down in my car and looked up into one of the rooms on the second level. I noticed a lamp was on. I decided not to go back in and that I would get it in the morning. No big deal, right? Yeah, I wish. The specific room was the location of the manager's office, and it looked as if the light was emanating from the middle of the room. Just some context, the lamp in question was originally owned by the location manager's wife, who had passed away and also went through the same funeral home he worked at. He brought the lamp from home to use in his office because it was no longer needed in his house. The next day, I went up there to check on the room and turn off the lamp. Only problem was that the lamp emanating the light the night before was sitting in the middle of his desk, not even plugged in. I was the first employee there that morning, and no one had been there during the night for any reason at all. Also, when seeing the lamp on the night before, I knew the funeral home was empty because I was the last one to leave. Now, these two occurrences aren't alone, but they are the most notable, because I can't explain them away. There are several hundreds of times I've felt watched, or something seems to move in the corner of my eye, and there have also been many times where I hear someone whisper, Hello? Hey? In my ear. There are so many that it's hard to keep the when or how they happen straight. But I guess that's just the baggage of the job. The second location. Context. At this building, I actually lived on the top floor of the funeral home for a period of six to eight months. Because free room and board in a fully furnished apartment, in the ease of being able to just wake up and clock in in the morning without having to drive anywhere, well, it's a luxury most people don't get to think about. 
The first happenings here were subtle, but no subtle moments. A few weeks into my initial move into the apartment above the funeral home, I was sleeping in my room upstairs and was awoken by the sounds of the stairs creaking, as if someone was walking up them. It was 1 a.m., and I knew no one was there but me. Usually, when a death call happens, I know about them because I'm called by my answering service to go get them. At this point, I'm frozen in place. Like, who in the hell would be there at this time of night without me knowing about it? All of the doors are locked to enter the funeral home, and so is my bedroom door. The freezing continues until whatever is outside my door comes to it and knocks twice. I say nothing. After several moments of complete silence, the creaking starts again, but back down the stairwell. I sat totally silent the rest of the night, and I couldn't sleep at all. Nothing else happened, but I was absolutely rattled by the experience. Whatever that was knew I was up there, and I didn't like the thought of that at all. I had no other choice but to continue to live there because of my financial position at the time. I couldn't really afford anything else. My second experience there was in the evening as well. I was eating a TV dinner in my kitchen of the apartment. I looked up from my food and I watched a doorknob turn and the door opened as if someone just walked through and shut it back. I just sat mouth agape and was totally flabbergasted. I was also there alone that night as well. There were no breezes or change in air pressure due to the other doors' closures. Nothing could force the door to open and shut like it did that night. Finally, and the most recent, yesterday I was sitting on the couch downstairs on a break during the middle of the day. I was alone again, Context. If there's nothing going on as far as funerals or arrangement conferences on the weekends, we keep the doors locked and the lights off. I rose from the couch and was walking into the main hall of the funeral home. I noticed a man standing in the doors to the funeral chapel. I said aloud to him, Hey, you. He didn't turn or say anything. He just walked away from me and turned the corner. I followed him into the chapel to try to get his attention. I rounded that same corner and found absolutely nothing. By this time, I was freaking out. The man was wearing a navy blue pinstripe suit with a white collared button-up, gray slicked-back hair, and was about the same height as me. He was an older fellow and was a little hunched over in the back. I immediately called the manager of the funeral home, same as the other location, and I told him about what had happened and described the man. He told me that I'd probably seen his old manager. He had also lived in the apartment that I did currently several years ago. And suddenly, everything made sense 
in that moment. When I was younger, I spent a lot of time in hospitals. Originally, my parents thought that I had a form of epilepsy. They would find me outside my bed in the mornings, sometimes convulsing, and other times just passed out. When it happened more than once or twice, they made an appointment for me to see some doctors. As it would turn out, I had a form of acute lymphoid leukemia, also known as all. It basically meant that I had cancer. But adolescent cancer treatments were and are a bit more advanced than most of the cancers found in adults. So with a lot of treatment, a good team of doctors and nurses, I survived. My parents would often talk about this time period in our lives, which I didn't mind. Like I said, I did survive. But also... I don't remember a lot from that time period, so it's nice to hear them talk about how strong I was or how happy I was. They tell me stories about the doctors and nurses, how they loved me, I loved them, how I would sing for other kids and our family. To be honest, I don't remember all of that. There are some things I do remember, though, things that I've never really felt like telling my parents. Maybe because I remember them not really taking me seriously when I brought it up as a child. What I remember most about the hospital is the little boy. At the time, I think I genuinely believed that he was a little boy in the hospital who was very good at hide-and-seek. But as I got older, I realized that wasn't really the case at all. That the reason I could never catch up to this little boy or why he always seemed to disappear, was because maybe he wasn't really there at all, or at least not anymore. He wore clothes like all of the other kids in the hospital would wear, but he did look different. And when he would talk to me, he would do it without moving his mouth. I always seemed to know where to find him, and he always seemed to know where to find me too. I remember him being there most when nobody else was. There were times when my parents couldn't both be there, or they couldn't be there at all, just for small periods of time, and those were the times that I would usually see the little boy. Or at nighttime, I would wake up, and I would see the little boy in my room. He didn't scare me, but it was too late to play. I would always have to tell him that. I remember asking one of the nurses about the little boy, asking her who he was and where his parents were. The nurse, like my parents, didn't seem to know what I was talking about. So yeah, like I said, I don't really remember a lot about the hospital or that time period in our lives, but I certainly remember the little boy.
Well, everyone, we've reached the end of the darkest hour. But I wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who shared their stories tonight and to everyone for listening. Be sure to join me every Friday night right here on the Darkest Hour YouTube channel. And if you want to keep listening to the show and you never want it to end, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, Amanda, Darkest Hour, at gmail.com. And check out our subreddit, The Darkest Hour YT. Stay spooky.